Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today and, as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. So my guest today is, well, it's me. (laughs) Okay, as I'm saying this, I realize this may come across as being perhaps just a little weird, but hang in with me. This is episode 100. 100 of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast, or TEDM, as uh, many like to use. This is an episode the team and I decided we should celebrate of a journey that began more than three years ago. It's a brief celebration of a milestone, uh, episode 100, a moment in time to mark, um, given I really had no idea that three years later I would still be producing a podcast that has been listened to by a few hundred or maybe even several hundred thousand people. Today, and uh, with what felt like a lot of pressure from the team, I decided to come out from behind the microphone to sit on the other side of the table and uh, be the interviewee, not the interviewer, which oddly enough for me is just really uncomfortable. I'm not exactly sure why I felt so much pressure, but it does feel a little awkward to be the guest that has to lift the hood, so to speak. My guests make it look and sound quite easy, but for me, not so much. Like learning a new dance, perhaps, uh, simply and admittedly, because it's just far easier to hide behind the other side of the microphone, this side of the microphone. The fact is, I really don't like talking about myself. It's not any deeper than that, and there may be some probable or psychological thing behind all of that, but it matters less because today I stretched and and here I am. A conversation with me from the other side of the microphone. 
And uh, just to add to the pressure and the fun of number 100, we wrangled a very special guest host who happens to be my beautiful, multi-talented, and amazing wife, Stephanie Hanlon Francie, who sat across from me and led this interview. So without any further and uh, any additional stall tactics, here we go with my guest today, me. Well, Patrick Francie. Stephanie Anlin. <laughs> this is the celebration of the 100th episode of the Everyday Millionaire podcast. What a journey. 100 episodes. Here I am. So, so listen, I'm going to be interviewing you today. And you've interviewed me two or three times now on this podcast. And I've had the opportunity to sit in the seat that you're in right now. So I just want to know, why did you pick me to do this interview? I'm pretty sure I was the last choice. Oh, that's a really good question. You were the last choice. <laughs> and so are we recording? Are you sure we're recording this time? Yeah, we're recording. Time? We got oh this. Gosh. Okay. So let's start first off by, it was 100 episodes and somebody came up with the idea. I, I'm often getting requests by listeners. You know, Patrick, you interview people all the time, but we never really get to hear about you. Why don't you have somebody interview you? And so that's been a kind of a, a thing for the past couple of years. And, and, and I've just was never ready to be interviewed. Then we, somebody said, PF, you're like, you're about to come to a hundred episodes. I think it was Cheryl. Yeah, yeah probably Cheryl. Cheryl, probably Cheryl probably the Cheryl. genius of the world. <laughs> Cheryl, probably. And um, so why don't you make it your interview? Like, why don't you do that? And I said, okay, let's do that. Now, who do I want to interview me? And, um, you know, I went through a list of people and possibilities and I don't know how I arrived at you. I don't know how that happened, but you were my I last. I definitely was last. <laughs> you were my last choice. And I also want to say is that you're sitting in my chair, mm -hmm. in my spot. You're even using my microphone. And um, none of this is comfortable. So, okay. Okay. Let's Well, I let's just want talk. to welcome everyone. And I want to introduce my, my guest today, Patrick Fancy, the uh, founder of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast, I really want to, you know, take some time, Patrick, to make you feel comfortable, get you grounded in the space and um, and really, you know, take some time to get to know you. You're always the one that's in front of the microphone, inter in, you know, interviewing the guests. And now I want to put you on the spot. So to get us started, tell me and tell us how you came up with the idea of a podcast, because the name itself is compelling, you know, and it's thought provoking. What does the everyday millionaire the actual name and the concept mean to you? Well, you know, there's a lot of story behind it, I guess, and, and, I, and I won't go into all of the details, but, you know, being part of the RAIN community for 20 years, being in business for 35 years, uh, knowing the people that we've come to know over many years. Um, often, you know, I was looking at, you know, friends like uh, Don Campbell, for example, or Richard Dolan, or uh, JG, like I just know so many people who have written books and it was like, PF, when are you going to write your book? Like, you've got to write a book, dude. And I'm going, I don't want to write a book. Like, I don't, There, you know, so through all of that, I was looking at what did I wanted to achieve? What do I love to do? What, what lights me up? And, you know, one of the things that came to me was the concept of a podcast. And because it, you know, three and a half years ago, they were, they were a thing, but they weren't even what they are today. And the concept of the everyday millionaire came from the people we've got to know over many years, which are great deals of wealth and lots of 
in from like so many in you know so many lessons and insights and you know people who worked hard and 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 built businesses or built real estate portfolios and and it's great to interview the the many you know billionaires that are out there or the few that are out there but really the that that upper echelon the 1% of the 1% and there's lots of people interviewing and playing in that space and what kind of lit me up was the fact that the everyday millionaire, those individuals who just quietly go about their life and build great businesses and employ people and make a difference in the world. That's who I wanted to talk to. I thought that's who my audience would also like to listen to. More achievable. I mean, there's lots of profoundness that comes out of a, you know, somebody like a Richard Branson, you know, like there's lots of profound kind of stories that come out of that. And and I would never minimize that, but that's not what I wanted to do. Seemingly ordinary, achieving extraordinary. That was always so, kind of so my goal. So tell me the story of when and how it came up. Where were you? And do you remember the moment? I do remember the moment. And it was uh, an interesting moment because it was, it was really about, it was about four, four and a half years ago, actually, four years ago. And we were on a beach in St. Lucia at our favorite place, one of our favorite places in the, at the Body Holiday in St. Lucia, and we were enjoying some time on the beach. I was reading. I was journaling a lot. I was meditating a lot. I was really doing uh, some reflection on just life and business and what I, you know, what was next, and and which is what those vacations are great for. And out of that was born the concept of a podcast. I knew I wanted to do something. I knew I wanted to get out into a space, a more public space, and, and I was also being, you know, felt a little bit of pressure to do that, given what I was doing within the Real Estate Investment Network and, and being the CEO. And, and I felt some pressure in that way. And uh, it, it, I mean, that was kind of a catalyst. And, and, it's, and that's the last thing it's about anymore. But Right. So when you came up with a name, like when you think about the everyday millionaire, people that are, are just quietly going about their lives, and it's kind of like you. You're, you're kind of that guy. You were an accidental entrepreneur. Yeah, I was. Would you say? Yeah, yeah, you bet. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that story? That was uh, back in uh, 1980. Holy cow, that was such a long time ago, 1983-ish. The oil patch in Alberta, born and raised in Edmonton, as you were, and I was working in the oil patch in the oil industry. I was working at a company called Smith International. And um, oh yeah, I, you were on the corporate ladder. Yeah, I was on the, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You I were got going in there, there young. I was yeah. uh, got in there young, right out of school. And uh, got on the corporate ladder chain, and and or yeah, it was that was kind of my my vision, what I wanted to do. I was driven to do that, and I I climbed the you know quote unquote corporate ladder fairly quickly. And in those days, I guess in reflection, you know that's just what was going on. And um, and so I got on that train, and then um, you know the federal government at the time, which happened to be a Trudeau. So don't get me going on that path. Oh, yes, I could later. <laughs> maybe. Uh, you know, they introduced the National Energy Program and, uh, the, you know, the economy shut down in Alberta. I was, at the time, I'd been with Smith International for seven or eight years, and I found myself without a job, uh, laid off. And so that was, an, uh, you know, that was a, like, for me, it was just, okay, now what? There were no jobs in Alberta. I mean, at, you know, the real unemployment rate back at that time was, I think, around 14%. Uh, 
which will then lead into, I think we could lead into a whole other thing about <laughs> what we've got going on right now as we're doing this podcast. But it was 14%. There were no jobs to apply for. I mean, it was we used to laugh. Uh, you know, I'd hang out with other people that were also looking for jobs, which was the thing to do in Alberta. And I mean, we were applying for jobs of, you know, president of Suncor and, you know, whatever, because <laughs> that's all there was. It was. You know, what else are you going to do? <laughs> Could you imagine uh, if you would have got something <laughs> like that? That's amazing. Anyways, I, yeah, okay, that wasn't going to happen. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd been relatively frugal and overall in my life. And, and so I had a couple bucks and I wasn't too panicked about working. And I was uh, hanging out at the lake. We were water skiing and doing all the things we were doing out at the cabin. And uh, it was it was pretty good. And I was hanging out with a guy by the name of Tom Raz, who at the time owned a professional skate service. And it was a very, very small shop in the south side of Edmonton. And, you know, I started going in there and hanging out with him. And it was just a fun thing to do. And, and but I got into it. I got, wow, you, you know, some, there's some things to improve here. And uh, I got on. I started working around with Tom. Very cash. It was very, very casual. But uh, I came off that corporate background and was able to take a bunch of the knowledge that that what I learned corporately started applying it in his business. And I think after about eight months, his uh, sales were up, as say, 60%. And so it was kind of just that. The next thing I know, I'm in it. And that was my entrepreneurial accident. One thing led to another. I met his brother, Adi Attila. And uh, Adi and I then took over the business and became partners. And uh, ProSkate was kind of we kicked it off in 1984. Well, you also had that business acumen, but you also had the, you have the gift of being able to work with your hands. You're very, very talented. The gift that, that you bring even to our home here um, out in the, in the Fraser Valley is, is that you can take anything and MacGyver it, you know? So I can imagine what it would have been like for you and for Tom, because he wasn't really a business guy at the time. Like his, he, it was second generation pro skate Calgary and they were doing great. And it was a niche market. Um, high-end figure skating, high-end hockey. You had all the Oilers coming in. You had all the world champions coming in. Sally Pelche. You had Paul Coffey as one of your biggest clients. Yeah, Wayne Gretzky. Eiserman, that, Eiserman, whole gang. Yeah, yeah. that whole gang. So yeah. you, were a, you were a going concern. And, and really, because of your ability to, to see something and to create something uh, almost out of nothing, and that's a true gift. Where else do you see that gift working in your life now, today? Oh, that's a... Wow, I don't... I don't even know what to say to that. So it's interesting what you bring up about working with my hands. I do. I, I love working with my hands. I'm, I'm able to do it. I, you know, that's something that's one of the, uh, the gifts my dad left me with. And uh, because I did a lot of that as a kid growing up, you know, farm boy growing up as well. So I, I did a lot of that stuff. And, you know, business was still always the thing that fired me up the most, you know, was being able to provide a service that people wanted to pay for and found value in. And that's always what fired me up. So when I think about those skills and what I developed over the years, what was the question again? How is those, how are those gifts showing up today? Like you, you, the things that you have, the, how you MacGyver things on the farm here, but also how you MacGyver things in business is quite remarkable. Well, I don't, I don't know if MacGyver is the right term because, you know, MacGyver is a little bit of a make do with what you got. I think that's a bootstrap mentality and, and it works and it comes into play. So I think that the, in, in all of that lies some creativity. And uh, I don't know that I've ever considered myself particularly creative, but, you know, the, I, I also have a track record for doing some creative things. Creative things show up. 
And so how does it do today? I think that creativity lives in there, the belief that it'll get figured out and that it can be figured out. And I believe strongly in that. So I don't know. That's a, that's a, yeah, a I don't question. like on this side of the mic. Those are hard questions. I know, uh, but that's what people want to know about you because that's why we got to dig into the who you are. The who you are uh, in what you do has always been something that we've believed in as a couple uh, and as business owner is that we're not just doing stuff. We're actually matchmakers. We're matchmakers. We find solutions for people that have issues or problems or gaps and when you're a gap when you're a gap finder or you're a solution finder, that takes a ton of creativity. I think you know I, I'm like you know, and what I see even in my guests on the show, you know, there's a part of what I would say is that when you're an entrepreneur, when you're in business, you become a bit of a survivalist. You know, you you have to be able to survive and move and and because there's things that are coming at you, economies, uh, changes in markets, industry changes supplier changes, supplier chain breakdowns. I mean, there's so many things that are coming at you as an entrepreneur. So that creativity has to be there. You have to be able to adjust, you know, pivot is an interesting term. I remember, you know, many years ago, one of the busiest years we were having and there were big supply chain breakdown and we weren't getting product. And, and one of the frustrations that we, what came out of one of those frustrations was the fact that we would design our own skate at the time. And so we designed our own skate and we had it manufactured. We sold a lot of them and it really put us on the map because we were doing something that no other retail store had done. Now that design came out of, first off, the innovation to even say, we want to do this and commit to it because you have to then commit to volume and all the things that you're doing. So those are business decisions that we made back then that was really about being creative, responding to the market, understanding what we wanted to achieve in that market. And we were young and really cocky and arrogant, and we were just going to take on the world. Now, I've learned a lot from that experience, and but ultimately, that's what it was about. We were passionate, we were driven, uh, young, full of energy and creativity, and we just believed that we could do it. There was nothing that could get in our way, and any any hurdles that came up, we just worked around. That's really funny because when you think about it, that's also how we've built our life is that to stay in a, in a place of being with what is not living on a side of, oh, positive thinking, hairy fairy, or, you know, or, or awfulizing negative thinking. We've always both committed to being and to moving things forward in a way that is about providing a service and solving people's um, problems, which is, which kind of is like a matchmaker. But your creativity in that has really led you and us into the the real estate investment network space. Like you think about back in 2006, I remember you said, I think I'm done with with retail. And I was just about to go to the Olympics in Torino, Italy with Mary-France Dubray and Patrice Lozano as my clients. And you're like, "Mm, I think I'm done. And you actually set a date. Do you remember that? Yep. yep tell, tell that story about how you knew or what, like, what was going on for you at that time? What was going on for me at the time? Uh, we had become, you know, we had started investing in real estate. We were back in 2000-ish, 2001-ish, whatever it was exactly. We were part of Rain back then as Rain members. And the retail aspect of it, you know, I'd been part of it. So 1984. And I was fired up about it in all that time, but I realized that it wasn't enough anymore. It was just playing too small. I mean, the stores were doing great. Uh, staff were great. I had a, a really good team at the time. 
and a couple of key people that were really into going and you know moving on to do what was next. And we had you know we had kind of been through Colorado and opening stores in Colorado and and the franchise component of it and looking at what we were doing in in the U.S. And then coming off of that, I just you know I was just done with you know I wanted to be bigger. I wanted to get bigger. I, I didn't believe I was you know, maximizing my talents anymore. And uh, I just wanted to do more. So I just set a date. I said, you know, November, it was actually 2005 because I said November 2006, I'm done. And that was in uh, about October 2005. And what happened in 2006 was I had set whatever date I had. And, and, but ultimately I was done, you know, six months before and kind of left the store and had the team in place. And that was the last time. And and as you know, uh, I, I still don't have a key to the store. So, <laughs> you know, I go in there when other people are there, nobody knows me, you know, and, and that's, that's fine. So that's, that's how that was. And that's had its challenges and its ups and downs, but ultimately I was really happy to do that. And then that opened the door to, at the time we were doing a thermoblade project, which was a development project of a heated skate blade, which took me right out of the retail part of it and put me you know, traveling and, and developing a, a blade, which is a whole story onto itself. A heated skate blade, which was very innovative, worked on that with Tori Weber. And um, that was a very, very cool project and lots of interesting stories about that. Tons meeting. of learning in that. I remember that. I remember being, you know, doing the marketing and we had PJ Stock, remember he come on yeah, and yeah. on board before he was the thing with Hockey Night in Canada and you know, we did the testing and our partner, Vanessa Hedinger, she, you know, we did the testing for all the, the skate blade and that was, it was a pretty amazing project. And it was a big project and, uh, you know, traveling to China, meeting with Gary Bettman in New York was very, very interesting working with Marcelo Bu, which was an amazing, amazing learning experience. Darren Master uh, was like genius CEO. Genius wow. CEO. Yeah. And so that was a very, very cool time. I mean, the project didn't work out and it was very, very, to this day, it kind of one of those little things that I got, you know, what else mm -hmm. do I learn from that? But ultimately the product worked, everything worked. And then, uh, yeah, and then it's politics, right? So then it's what happens in the, in the world. That's so true. And you talk about that is what you can control, what you can't control. And that's mm -hmm. a lot of what we've learned from, you know, Ellen Kahn and Anurag Gupta, all the, all the coaches we've had over the years. But you think about going back to 2001 as a rookie real estate investor, and we really were looking at a way to try to supplement or to actually have some kind of future retirement. Because as, as self-employed people, we didn't have a hope in hell. Like there was nothing happening for us in the future. And I think we both saw a future that needed something that we could control. And that's why we joined Rain as Rain members. And I remember going from Rain member now to the point where you own it outright. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the journey about when you went from Rain member to VP operations in Langley to deciding to buy the business from Don Campbell? Yeah, it was uh, yeah, who would have thought right when we when I joined Rain or we joined Rain in 2001 that, you know, one day I'd be the owner and CEO. I mean, that certainly wasn't. <laughs> it's I liked it so much. I bought the business. Yeah, I mean that it is an interesting journey, and that was never uh, that was certainly really wasn't the, the intention early on. Yeah. Well, you know, and 
you know, some people that may be interested in the story is like, how the hell did Francie end up owning Rain? Like, where did that come from? <laughs> and and it really was an interesting uh, kind of journey that just unfolded the way it unfolds. And and as and as an entrepreneur and a business owner, and and then ultimately uh, we'd gotten to know Don and Connie and were good friends and spent time and hanging out. And Don had taken the business to a level that he had taken it to and was needing some help and some support. Uh, back in those days, Russell Westcott was part of the team and was kind of the front guy, stage guy. And uh, that wasn't enough. And Don needed more support in behind the scenes. And operationally, I had some skills in that regard. We had gotten to know each other. I'd just come off the Thermoblade project. And he'd actually, we were in St. Lucia again and uh, hanging out on the beach. And he said, so what are you going to do next now that Thermoblade's done? And that was a two-year project. So that would have been late 2007. And I said, you know, I don't know. As you, you know, as you recall, the businesses were doing fine. Uh, we weren't in a hurry. I, like, it's not like I had to go back to, you know, the stores were, you know, we were generating income. It wasn't lifestyles of the, you know, rich and famous. But between real estate and what you were doing and what the pro, pro skate was doing, we had a pretty good life. And and but we that was not, you know, wasn't stopping wasn't a consideration. And and so. He asked me if I'd be interested in moving to British Columbia, and and uh, so we did that. We did that in 2008. I, no, I, we we didn't do that. Okay, well yeah, okay. I moved in. You I you, moved you moved us there. <laughs> I moved away, which was hilarious. <laughs> that was good though. But you were you were ready. You wanted to get I out was. of you know you were done. You I was wanted done to get with out of snow. Alberta, yeah. at least on a regular basis. I mean, we're, right now we're kind of bi-provincial in that regard because we we do uh, hang out in both provinces a lot. So you know, at, at the end of the day. Uh, came to hang out with uh, with Don, and we did a lot of really really cool stuff. And uh, Don was uh, such a catalyst, and I was pretty fired up about the business overall in working with Don. And and the it's it's such an interesting business model because you get to make such a difference in people's lives, which for me is a, is a big driver for me, and helping others to achieve whatever they dream of in the world of real estate or their life is, is what kind of has always driven us. You, you know, and I've been coaches for however many years now, 25 ish years. And so that it was an interesting model to say, wow, we get to help people. And Don was awesome that way. He was really, really committed to that and the stand that he took. And so, uh, you know, one thing evolved into another, uh, I met Richard and uh, Richard was you know, really a fan of the model. And one thing led to another. Don was ready to exit, ready to go on to what was next for him. And yeah, so Richard and I ultimately bought the business out. Now, Richard and I split about a year ago now and uh, we moved on. But yeah, so that's how, that's kind of the... Yeah, so you recently parted ways with Richard Dolan. Like he was a big part. He became a friend of ours, a business partner. There were many, many layers to that relationship. So you, you've taken rain in a different direction. He's taken legacy and what he's doing. What have you learned through this process and how important is it to you for people to understand what happened? I, I don't think it's is how important is it to me for people to understand. I don't have any attachment to that part of it. I know people, some are curious about it. Others don't even know Richard Dolan or that he was part of the business. You know, it's like, so I'm, I'm not so attached to that part of it, you know, for those who knew Richard, they, you know, Richard's doing what Richard's doing as a, with Legacy Council of Canada. And, you know, what ultimately happened in that, what I learned from it, you know, first and foremost is that 
in in the partnership, it was great. And then what started to happen was their divergence of interest, you know, what the business, what we wanted to do with the business and, and what, how he wanted to take it, how I started to take it, given what was going on in the market, Don was out of the business. So it was, it was a, it was kind of a transitional time. And what I got to all of that is that Richard was very fired up about Legacy Council of Canada. I was still remaining very fired up about rain and, and ultimately that's what it, what it went to. And uh, so what I learned from it is ultimately, you know, Richard had a different set of values than I did. We didn't share common values. Now, that's not to say mine are right and his are wrong or vice versa. It's just what I really was reminded of. I didn't even learn it. I was reminded of it is that values are a driver in any relationship, be it business or significant other or friendship or uh, deal making. You know, ultimately, if you don't share common values, then you, you have to not try and force the river. And so uh, that, yeah, that's the kind of, that's all I got to say about that. Let's dig into that a bit. So when you talk about values, values mm-hmm. are, are very, it's a, a conversation that we've had. You think about the coaching we've done over the years, uh, all the coaching now currently with, um, with rain, with E52 um, it's very much grounded in values and context for living. So how important is it to you to then bring what you've learned and share what you've learned and to help people identify their values so that they're building their life, their business, their context for living on top of a set of values that that actually is true for them. Well, you know, it's interesting that conversation because as you know, I do a lot, I'm currently reading, um, gosh, what's the book I'm reading? Uh, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor. <laughs> and it's really, it's interesting about that book is that he talks a lot about values and, it, you know, it's stoicism and the work of Marcus Aurelius, and, and I've always had an interest in that. I shouldn't say always. I've had an interest in that in the past two or three years uh, on, a, on a different level. I've always had a kind of a philosophical view of life overall. But values are talked about a lot, yet view, few people understand what values are and understanding also that values change and they shift and things that were important to us at one time in our life are no longer as important. I mean, there's moral standards, you know, thou shalt not kill, you know, those kind of really Christian beliefs, whether you're Christian or not, you know, many of our moral values are built on... The morality, the ethics, that's, that's not right. values. Yeah. Those aren't you're, values. Okay, got it. That's, those aren't values. So, you know, what are values? So we live into our values. So, you know, health and wellness is a value. So if, you know, if you, if health is high on your list, as an example, um, what are you doing? You're eating right. You're you're eating well, and you're being focused on your uh, nutritional or your diet and and exercise and regular exercise, and that's different than fitness. And so, but you might have high fitness. So it depends on you know. That's just that's just in you know. If it's a value, then that's what you do. Uh, you fill that value because it's important to you. You know, an easy one is with moms with their kids, right? You know, that's their highest value. Parents, not just moms, but parents overall. You know, when you have kids, what happens? They become your highest value. We, you know, we recently, well, recently within the past four years became grandparents. Now, one of my values is my family now in a different way because it's added a dynamic called grandchildren. And so I want to spend time and energy and I want to make sure that they're looked after and I want to be part of their, you know, their life and guide them and as do you. And, and that's, that's a new value that wasn't there four years ago. You know, Aaron was a young adult and I love her and 
you know, you go on with your life and yeah. I'm here for you, you know, but uh, ultimately those values shift and change. So values are just an important conversation because when you stay grounded in those values, that's what helps you create a very, very uh, intentional life, a life by design, if you will. And it's a way to really be clear on what it is that you want your life to feel like, what you want it to look like, how you want it to flow. And values are an important part of conversation. So when you think about values and context we're living in and the work that we've done over the last 25 years with people, I mean, we've got, you know, the champion's journey, for example, we've been in, in, you know, baking that into E52 and really understanding what, what it means to be a champion in your own life, to be somebody who you can be proud of when you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror. But on the flip side of that, there's coaching and people say they want to be coached. And then there's the concept of coachability. What is your thought process when you're working with people? How important is coachability? Well, uh, that's such an, an interesting question because, of course, RAIN is an organization. The Real Estate Investment Network as an organization is actually, when you think about it, is just a, a big coaching environment. It is whether we're coaching from stage, that's coachability. That's not just an information, always content download, although sometimes it can feel like that. Or there's people within the community. So that's the environment that you're in. Coachability. You know, I, I was once, you know, <laughs> reflecting on rain, next steps. I'm, that's, of course, always on my mind. What can it be? How can we improve? What we can do more of? How do we support our community better? How do we grow the community how do we support people in achieving goals better? So when you look at coachability, it, it's a bit perplexing because we look at individuals in the community and, you know, literally 150,000 people have come through the RAIN, the Real Estate Investment Network program. You know, I've stood in front of sta on the stage in front of, you know, thousands, tens of thousands over the years and one-on-one, one-on-many and, one -on -one, one -on -many and trying to support them. And I, you know, there's individuals that it's like, they're, it's, a, it's absolutely unbelievable what they've achieved. It's, it's actually incredible. You go, holy cow. And, and they can look at it and they can go, you know, I, I owe a lot of what I've achieved to what rain has taught me. And, and I, we don't take credit for anybody's success because ultimately we see the other side of the equation, which is people come in, they hang out for a year or two and they go, yeah, no, I'm out. I can't build a portfolio. And I'm going, what's the difference between that person and the person that hits it out of the park? They both had the same opportunity to receive information. They both had the same opportunity to reach out to me or the rest of the rain team, content, all of the things like there's, there's the environment, there's the culture, there's the community. And somebody will like be, you know, nail it out of the park and they've been, you know, part of the community for five, 10, 20 years. And then there's those individuals who go, yeah, no, this is bullshit. You know, like I, this doesn't work. I'm going, wow, that's, that's the code I mm -hmm. want to crack. That's the, that's the problem I want to, you know, I want to dig into. Now to your point, your question about coachability, therein lies the challenge in, in any coaching environment. I mean, you live it you know, because you work with athletes and business people, but, you know, ultimately we look and say, why are some people far more coachable than others? You know, and you've done tens of thousands of people and, you know, kids right through to adults. Why is somebody coachable and somebody else is not coachable? And, and I think that's a, 
that's a tough question other than to say some people say they want change and they do. They want their life to be different, but they don't want to have to change. Right. They want to do it their way and get a different <laughs> result. Right? But it's an interesting, it's you know, so it's like that is such a, a mind fuck because ultimately we see that happening all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you want your life to be different. You want an amazing lifestyle. You want an outcome, but you want to keep doing it the same way you've been doing it. Well, how's that working for you? So it's it's an interesting challenge that I think people face. They really do want it, but they just aren't willing to let go of what they're doing or what they have to get what they want. Right. Because it's evidence-based. So for example, if you have people that you're coaching, I have people that I'm coaching. If there's no evidence that there could be success by doing it differently, they can't trust it. So how do you support people? We think about like back in the day when we went to rain. We had no idea of real estate. We had no idea about investing. We just went there as open books, open-hearted people going, these people know stuff that we don't know. So what was different about you and me sitting in that room? There's maybe, what, 35 people the first time we were at, <laughs> at our first rain meeting? That's true. <laughs> uh, well, our, the, yeah. But, wow, you know, that's an interesting question because here's the thing. You're probably the most coachable person I know. I, at the time, was one of the many who was just not coachable. I, I think I was a tough study. You're still and a tough study, no, babe. No, <laughs> I, don't, I don't agree. I mean, for you, perhaps. <laughs> I've got, I, at least I got people on my side that would say that's not true. <laughs> um, I believe, well, no, I've, I've got a track record now for being very, yes, you do. very coachable and uh, probably to a fault. Now, so I think it's a transition. Let, let me think of, so when people are, are saying to me, you know, what they can't do and what they, you know, all the rest of it, I, I mean, I relate to people way differently now. So to those who aren't coachable, it really is a, a mindset. It is really, and it's not surrendering. It's actually realizing that what's in your way is of letting go of your past story uh, what you believe, your belief system, your, your BS, belief, your BS, your, you know. or in your case, before Stephanie. Yeah, before, in my case, before <laughs> Stephanie, my BS. So, <laughs> so, but you know, even within Rain, we have you know we have the coaching programs that we have, Elite Fifty Two, and I see the difference even within our Elite Fifty Two community, the levels of coachability and how hard it is, and it, it let's face it, it's just freaking hard to let go of something and trust that where you're going is going to be okay. And it's the letting go that is, I think, the challenge in the world of coachability. Can you let go of those old belief systems? Can you let go of that comfort that you had, you know, like a warm blanket is, it's just so good here. But you have to look at your life and go, this just isn't enough anymore. Like I can't, fucking stay here. Like this is no longer okay. And until you get to that, where you just say, I'm done and you don't have to make it wrong. It's just at some point it's got to be, this isn't enough. I want more. I can be more. I can achieve more and really step into your power and, and to really own, I'm trying to think of the quote. I'm so bad at that. Angelou, um, Maya Angelou, Maya Angelou, or, you know, Marianne Williamson was the other one that was a credit. I think it was Marianne Williamson. It, you know, who are we to play small? Right. You know, it really is that. How who, dare we? How dare we? 
right? And, we, and we, we don't have the right. And you think about that, that's a values also a conversation uh, around is. values is that, and where do you believe that you are worthy? Well, it is, it's that. And I think, you know, where do you believe you're worthy? But, you know, as, as coaches, I think that there's nothing more frustrating for a coach to see what potential somebody has, what they're really capable of, and they can't see it for themselves. And then somebody wanting to achieve something and the ongoing get in their own way. And we all do that, by the way. But, you know, it's like, that's very, very frustrating. And, and then at the, you know, ultimately as a coach, what do we say? You know, we go, I can't want something more for you than you want it for yourself. And so when you're ready, I'm here for you. But until you really want it, there's nothing I can do. So you think that there's a, a whole, maybe a segment of people who say they want coaching, but what they actually want is coaxing. They want they yeah. want to be told what they're doing is right. They want to be built up. They want to be empowered to do the, keep doing the same thing over and over again. And I think that's what's so cool about, well, but, with, go ahead. No, I, th- I, th- I think that's, a, but you make a, an, it's an interesting, you, you, they want coaching, coaxing, coaching. Co- coaxing, coaxing. <laughs> not coaching. <laughs> but I mean, you look at, you know, what does it take to, you know, for you, I mean, in, in, in how you coach and in your coaching programs and what you do as a coach, I mean, it's not easy to get to you. You make it really, really difficult. I because, have a lot of barriers to yeah, entry. You do. Yep. And, 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 and I've gone the other way. I've gone just, I know I'm not doing any one-on-one, you know, I do within the lead 52 mm-hmm. coaching program, which is great. And I enjoy doing it, but people are, you know, show up to do that. But the point of that is, is, is that we've both learned that from our own energy and from what we want to achieve, I'm not interested in working with somebody who says they want to be coached and they're actually not willing to be coached. And that shuts me down. I go, what the, you know, like, I can't. And then you're just wrong all the time. Then you're wrong all the time. And nobody's winning in that game. So so that's an, that's an interesting part of it. I'm, uh, you know, in at this point in my life, you know, I would have 20 years ago or 10 years ago, probably even to a lesser degree, I'd have been willing to spend the time and energy trying to coax somebody into mm-hmm. the next level. But I'm just not willing to do that anymore. Yeah, you know? there's a, there's there's too much to lose for yourself and also for them. Because one of the things I say to my clients all the time is that if I'm going to take credit for your success then I also have to take credit for your failure. Yeah. So let's just get behind what it is that you want and I will coach the shit out of you to make sure that you're going to get what it is that you want. But ultimately, I can't be responsible. You're paying me to do a job and I'm going to do the best job I possibly can. Yeah. So let's talk about what's going on right here, right now in 2020. You've got your 100th episode of The Everyday Millionaire. You've met some amazing people through this process. You've got some super cool guests coming up. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I really invite people to to dig into what it is that that matters to them from what they're growing into from the everyday millionaire being a concept, a context, uh, a, a way of being. But right now, the world's been turned upside down. You know, and I look, I look back and I go, I am so grateful for real estate right now. For, for, you know, being a RAIN member back in 2001 and understanding and, and learning and making mistakes and screwing up. And if it wasn't for that, there wouldn't be a lot of uh, resources for us because right now we're getting our asses handed to us. 
yeah, on a well, couple I, different I, levels. Yeah, well, you know, as business owners, we do, right? So, I mean, uh, we've got the retail stores in, in Edmonton is one part of it. You know, some retail stuff that are some uh, real estate stuff that we got out of. Uh, you know, we've had to clean up our portfolio, which was fine, you know, and so there's been, you know, the past couple of years have been, has been challenging and real estate's been really there to serve us in, in that regard, for sure. When I look at, you know, from a business point of view, it's an interesting time for many businesses. Ours, no different than anybody else. From Rain's perspective, you know, the Real Estate Investment Network, the team is, is, is freaking world-class. I mean, they're, you know, Jennifer and JG and, and Bonnie and Cheryl, I mean, there's 35 people, but our, our management team, our team overall is, they're just over the top. So uh, Nick Banks is, you know, in behind the scenes is like just unbelievable the work that they're doing. And so where, where we're going as a, you know, as, as a community and as a business in supporting people in creating financial futures, we're fired up about, like, we're really, really excited about, we've been able to pivot through this. Now, what was interesting about that is we'd started this journey, gosh, at least two years ago, maybe even three, when we were talking technology and people are going, what the hell are you talking about right now? And, and so we were early adopters and, and that doesn't work for everybody, but now then, you know, COVID hits, everybody shuts down. And so we were able to just, all we did was, you know, get a little bit closer to our desks and, and fired up. And, and then we really dug into what we had to do to deliver a great value and a great product to our clients and, and get it out there. So that's been really an interesting uh, journey for us to be able to pivot. You know, we've had to pivot on the retail side. We've had to pivot in the retail side. And, and so it's really, once again, an, a new challenge, a new way to have to look at our businesses and reinvent. It has been, you know, there's a term going on right there. This is the great reset. And it is 100% a reset. And I, I do believe that in order to really get through, not only, and I don't want to just survive, to really thrive, you, we have to change. And you can either fight the change or you can embrace the change and go, let's ride this next wave because uh, where it's going is going to, you know, ultimately we want to be in front of it. We want to lead it. And that's just the commitment of, that I have and the attitude I have around it. And, and it's scary and it's frustrating and it's all the things it is. But at the end of the day, it just is that. It will always be, is, you know, some, it was great. You know, somebody said to me, it is what it is. But it's always, it is what it is. It's always that. So then how do we look at it? How do we take it on? You know, do we want to be a victim to it? No, we want to, we have got to embrace it. We got to own it. Just go with it. And uh, that's what we're doing. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, that and the economy and and the fear that's happening right now and how scared people are about their futures and their families' futures. The concept of, of critically thinking, of really slowing down and not getting caught up in the in the in the fear-based thinking, the dramas, the the um, tr- you know traditional media, what and how to navigate adversity. Like we've been doing this work. Think about back with Anurag or Paul Stoltz, for example, Dr. Paul Stoltz. Uh, back even further when we started, you know, purchasing um, commodities like gold and silver. How has that helped you? find diversity, find comfort when knowing now that everything that's happening right now is, 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 is never going to be the same. And I'm not going to use the word, but people are saying there's something going to happen. There's a new something, something out there. I'm not going to say it, but how do you see the next steps going forward 
How do you see the future of rain? Because you've always focused on your clients. Always, always. You've never cared about the competition and this guy and that guy and people stealing your stuff and your research and another company popping up. How do you see the next few, the next few, the next part of the future? Well, I mean, we got, you know, I don't know when we're going to be releasing this. I'm not quite sure to be honest with you, but the, you know, the, the future for rain is, I mean, we've got some big announcements coming up. We're so stoked about that. Like it's crazy what we're going to do to embrace all of this. You know, when I, when I think about in business, you know, at this point in my life, I mean, I'm 62 years old, you know, I, you know, I, we joke and I joke with you all the time, just hang on. We're in the freedom 95 program because, <laughs> you know, I don't ever want to slow down. I don't ever want to stop. I, I, you know, this isn't about ever retiring in, a, in any, any traditional sense. The, the, you know, the, the key to all of this is that we've faced a lot of adversity in our life and, and as have many. And so we, we have to look at adversity and we've trained for this. We've, this has been a part of our life. You know, when we look at the work we're doing, the, you know, the personal development, the professional development, the context, the study of whatever we're studying, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, our understanding with Paul Stoltz, the our adversity quotient or the stoicism or stoicism and, you know, and, and the, the, the training in stoicism and, and understanding all of that, if, if that's the preparation because we can't prep, we can't really prepare for what's coming because we don't know what's coming. We have to stay present to it. If we live too far into the future, that's where fear will overwhelm anybody or the possibility of what could happen, you know, critical thinking and looking at the economic fundamentals. Those are the things that we just do as, the, as a nature, you know, we connect the dots and, you know, we look at what's happening in the world and we look at our political situation and we look at what our federal government's doing or not doing, or our provincial or municipal. And, and then we have to say, how do we want to, when you look in that critical thinking, at some point you make a decision and you go, this is the way I think it's going to go. And this is how I'm going to plan my life for it. And this is how I'm going to put, or, you know, how I'm going to risk mitigate, or these are the things that I'm going to do just in case. What's the upside? What's the downside? And so that's just a thought process that, you know, we, we go through in as business owners, as entrepreneurs. Who are you communicating with? Who are you having conversations with? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are the people in your life that are supporting what you think and, and challenging you on what you think? Are you, you know, in a bubble or are you actually, do you, have a, do you have a community of people of like-minded individuals? Let's go back to values. You know, when you have a conversation about values, when you honor your values and those people that are most important to you, you are attracting individuals that are like-minded because they share common values. Now, they don't share exact values necessarily, but they share common values, which opens up the door to having communication, to testing theories, to putting it out there, but thought process, as, as loony as it might be, get it out of your head, have somebody come back at you and go, you know, you're full of shit, or, hey, I never even thought of it that way, like whatever that might be. So those are the things that, you know, we prepare for in going through this. If you're coming into this pandemic, if you're looking at how the world's unfolding, thinking that the government's going to save you, I think I think you're, you're going to be in for a really rude awakening, given that it's the governments that's making decisions that have us where we are. Are we going to count on our government to save us? I don't know. I don't know if that's a smart thing. That's not what I'm thinking about doing. Or that's not what we're thinking about and how we're looking at it. And and ultimately, then we sit back and you get a little bit philosophical and you say, well, man, it's so polarizing what's going on in the world. And how's that going to unfold? And 
a year, 10 years, five years? What does that mean to our grandchildren and our children? And, you know, you, you know, it's, it's pandemic, it's a pandemic, and it's a mask and it's a don't wear a mask and it's a vax and it's a don't wear, you know, or don't get vaxxed. And these are really, really challenging times because all the data, you know, you can get, there's strong arguments for both. Let's put it this way. So at some point you call bullshit on one or the other and you make your decision and, and then you live with your decision. Yeah, absolutely. And we think about now is that we're being told to stay distance from each other. But when you think about it, community is so important, like-minded community. So the RAIN community, for example, what I've experienced in the last six months and just how RAIN has stepped up, how Skate Tech has stepped up to create community is that we're doing the opposite not the obvious. We're not pulling apart. We're not staying separate. We're not staying distanced. We're keeping together. We're staying aligned. We're pushing through. And it's hard. You know, I don't know how you do it. Um, honestly, you, you, what does it take? I mean, think about it. Like, what does it take for you every day to wake up? Like, do you, does it start with your morning routine? Like, how do you stay in a space where you hold so much powerful space for people to to stay connected to themselves and not go down the dark side. You know, I think that's a you know that's an a, a that's actually a really good question in terms of what does it take. You know, and I don't know that I'm doing it right. I just know what I do, and you know, my goal is always you know I don't know. Some people I'm wired a little bit funny. I think that way. Uh, you know, first and foremost, I think as I've interviewed many, many people now and had 99 so far, <laughs> 99 others. Uh, and that's not even including those that uh, aren't on the show. <laughs> but the the point is, is that I study leadership and, and it's because I think that, you know, I, I suck at it. Like I have to, I, I have to study it. Like I, I'm not smart enough to figure it out on my own. So there's a part of me that, you know, when I look at how I want to be, you know, one of my goals is to support P people in having a great life and, and being the best they can be. I have to try and do that myself. And that doesn't mean about being smarter or being richer or, you know, with more money or like, it's really about life. What does your life look like? What does it like? Not, and I don't mean outside. I mean, what does it, your life look like to you? How does it feel to you? And that take, it took me a long time to get there. But, you know, how do I face it? Uh, you know, I'm, I have to work my ass off, you know, like, uh, you know, so I'm up early, as you know, and you're not as early a riser as me. So that's great. That gives me, you know, two, three, four hours in the morning. <laughs> Five. <laughs> Five. Before, before. <laughs> then you're, I stay up way later. <laughs> before. Yeah, you do. Before you're around. And, and so, you know, in that morning, I, I do. I, I read a lot. I meditate. I journal. I do all the things I talk about. Now, am I consistent with it? Yeah, I'm pretty consistent with it. Uh, you know, I don't think I, uh, I'm probably not as disciplined as some, but I'm far more disciplined than most and I need to be. Uh, I think that I've, I'm, you know, there's nothing right now that I'm more proud of than the team, uh, Rain, and the people that are on the management team and that I'm surrounded by. You know, I've always believed that your life is a reflection of who you're being, and the people that are in your life are a reflection of who you're being. And when I look at my management team and, you know, who we have in our life in a, in a bigger, you know, bigger scale. So, you know, at Rain for many, the people that, you know, may be listening to this podcast, you know, they're familiar with, you know, JG with Jean-Guy and 
and Jennifer and they're familiar with you know, a little less about Bonnie or Nick Banks and Cheryl. I mean, but when I look at that and I go, I mean, how can that be better? It's like, we laugh, we work our asses off, we are creative or innovative. Uh, we very rarely, we all get fired up at one point, but we rarely ever have big major disagreements. And if we do, it's it's a logistics or it's a an operational thing. And, you know, so, but we we share a common vision, a common way of being. We We really, really have a lot of respect for each other. Now, then when we take that out, you know, outside of that, and, and I think about what's going on in Edmonton and our team and who we've got there, uh, none of it's perfect, but it's pretty fucking amazing, you know, like that we do what we do. Like, I really dig it. And, uh, and when I look at our life and, and in terms of what we've created and our lifestyle and the people that are in our life, and I go, okay, so I'm doing some things right. Because otherwise I wouldn't be believing. Yeah, that's proof. That, you know, I, otherwise I'd be full of shit. So if I complained about it, then I have to look at it, which I, I do often, which is my life's a reflection of what was going on or what is going on. So I realize, you know, it, over the years when I've been out of integrity, I've not lived and stayed true to my values. That's come back to bite me in the ass. So I do realize how easy it is to fall into that trap, by the way. So I have no judgment of others because I've done it myself. And, uh, but now I'm really, really grounded in that. Uh, that's a, that was a, that was, those have been painful lessons over the years and they've been expensive lessons and, and there's been a lot of, you know, mental, emotional cost to it. So the point is, all of it is, is that I do spend a lot of, you know, I, I do spend a lot of time working on me because I'm just really, uh, you know, I'm not You're that smart. You're a tough study. Not that smart. So <laughs> well, to. actually you say that and that's not true. You're probably one of the smartest people I've ever met and your instinct, your instincts are, are quite good. And I think that's what, I want to dig into a little bit here is that when you went against your instincts, for example, in a partnership or in a deal or a decision-making, the, the, what you've talked about before is the repercussions of that is if, if you drill down to the decision that you made that was against your values or against your instincts, what would you say that you could share about those lessons? Well, you know, that, oh man, the, the, every time I've done that, it's cost me something, you know, and and so I wish I would, you know, the, <laughs> no regrets, but damn it, why didn't I get the lesson when I was 40? <laughs> so, you know, the point is, uh, I think there is that, uh, you know, ego is an interesting thing, you know, and the study of ego. And and it was like the podcast when I came to the conclusion around the Everyday Millionaire podcast was, you know, why was I resisting it? And I realized it was ego. And ego is something that people, and I, not that I have a huge understanding of ego, although I probably have more than understanding of it than the average bear. But I mean, ultimately, ego will play into the elevation of you. Most people think ego is about arrogance, and it's it's really not. It's That's part of it. It's a very small part of it. But ego is also there to protect you. And ego is, you know, one of the things about doing the podcast was you have to put yourself out there, you know, and and ego is is there to protect you. So in the case of the podcast, I had to look at it and I had the realization at the time that my ego was actually protecting me from putting myself out there. Like it was like, don't you be, didn't want to be judged. I uh, don't want to be judged. Mm. You know, I, you know, like I gave a shit what people think and, 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 and now not so much, you know, but I had to, I had to have that realization. And then there's others out there, you know, I, I, and I, and I, 
look at what's going on with social media and everybody puts themselves out there on, no, I shouldn't say that, many put themselves out there on social media, but that's another side of ego, right? It's another side of, I, I want to be seen, I need to be seen. And I don't. Like, uh, this is the most uncomfortable freaking interview. <laughs> like, I hate this. No, I don't hate it. I don't hate anything. So this is really uncomfortable. I'll just leave it at that. And um, because I'm I'm way, way better. I'm way better of putting people out in front of me. Like, I'll, I'll get behind you. Like, you want to go up that mountain? Okay, here, I'll be, I'll, I'll here, start start climbing. I'll put my hand on your ass and I'll push you up. Yeah, you you call yourself a Sherpa, but you know what? I think that's where also where you play small. And I think as we've grown and as we've learned and as we all learn how, like for me, where I play small, where you play small, is that we're not serving the word, the world by playing small. And during times of uncertainty, you know, and, and just to, to change gears a bit, is that there's always opportunities. And I think that's what we're finding right now is that not from an egoic place, but the opportunities to continue to help people and to continue to find solutions for people. But on the opposite side of that, there's also opportunists. There's going to be people that are going to sell snake oil. Yep. So how do you know? Like, how do we as, as, as just, uh, just normal people, and what would you say to your listeners and, and to the people who, who look to you like a lot of us do, is how do we know that there's an opportunity or an opportunist or if somebody's bringing a deal that's based in fraud? Or, but how do, you, how do you know if something's worth taking the risk right now? Well, I, there's a lot in that question. So depending on what direction I take it, how do you know? You know, so first and foremost, you know, it it we it's we live what we teach, which is to say, you know, is the person that you're doing business with are you aligned with their values truly? And what is their track record? What is your track record? What is it that you're trying to achieve? You know, are you aligned with the outcomes? And if I've if I've made a mistake in the past, you know, and I've made many, but you know, is in in partnerships, whether it be a joint venture or a business partnership, it was going in thinking our I don't even want to say yeah. Here, let me say it this way. Yes, thinking that the outcomes were aligned when in reality that conversation wasn't really had in a meaningful way. So they weren't, and those were lessons learned. So you know, those are the guidelines always is understanding what is the outcome you're trying to achieve? Are, is that person's way of doing business in alignment with the way you do business? Are you okay if somebody goes in a little bit into the gray? You know, it's not always black and white, but how gray do you get? You know, are you okay? You know, it's like, you know, if you see somebody drop their wallet or drop a hundred dollars, let's say you see somebody drop a hundred bucks on the, on the ground, most would pick up that hundred dollars and say, "Hey, sir, ma'am, you've you you dropped a hundred bucks, or here's you dropped some money. Here, here you go." Not everybody does that. So not everybody does. So the question is, if somebody doesn't, and you're you watch that and you witness that, are you okay with that? Are you is that the person you want to be in business with? Is that the person you want to hang out with? Are you willing to overlook it? You know, are you, you know, you say, well, no, that's at the hundred bucks for somebody. Hey, listen, they lost it. They're lost. You know, is that okay? So those are things that are, you have to align with. And those are, those are value conversations. So that's how, you know, so it's really, truly taking a look inside when you see those things come up and, and then not letting them take over. So 
here we go. We're coming to the end. What, really? Our, uh, yeah, oh. I know. Can you? Uh, we're close. And and I know this is really hilarious because I want to kind of do with you what you do with your guests. <laughs> I want to give you um, one thing that you've said recently um, before we go into rapid fire and and the close is. Why is the, like, tell me about your least favorite word. I'm not going to prompt you. You know what it is. And why? What is your least favorite word right now? I mean, my least favorite word is hate. And and I don't. Yes, exactly. Don't, I'm not a big fan of that word. So. Capital um, H, for sure. Capital H. I think that leaves a negative charge. Yeah. Um, what I'm contemplating right now is the word success. As your least favorite word. Oh, interesting. Because most people are, are striving for success. Well, it's, it's interesting around the word success is, you know, the one thing I've, I've come to recognize is that very few people can define success. Well, what is success? You know, if you're in and I see the confusion that it creates, you know, everybody, well, not everybody, many look at it financially and go, you know, I'm financially successful. Okay, great. If that's your benchmark for success, then good for you. But, you know, you and I know many, many very wealthy people that I wouldn't, you know, I just wouldn't want their life. And and they wouldn't, they don't even want their life, to be honest with you. I mean, they, you, you know that. We've seen that many, many times. So how do you define success? And very few people have a great definition of it. And I realize that I'm not even sure I have a great definition of it. So maybe that's why I don't like the word. And I'm trying to avoid using it. I, I know in mainstream, it it it's a kind of a, a, a great theme and a great message, but it's so kind of, how do you define success? So what are you measuring yourself against when you come up? So when someone says, how do I know I'm successful? Well, what are you measuring yourself against in your values? So in our, in my world, and I'll speak for myself, is that my highest value is my relationship with you. So I work hard and fight hard to to put our is it hard work. Oh, are you saying it's hard uh, work? Honestly, honey. Now you're just pissing me sometimes off. Sometimes like, I'm hard you're work. A lot what are you of implying? work. Well, Gosh. well, I think because I always assume that we have that we're always aligned in our values, and we're always that you can read my mind and all this kind of stuff. And I realize that that's actually not true. Is that I have this story sometimes that goes on in my head that 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 you're that you're in the same story. And what I've learned over the last while is that out of respect for our similarities, but also our differences, is that we have different definitions of success and different definitions of what a great relationship is. But we're committed to having a great relationship in your definition and my definition. So if we put that first and we put our values in alignment and see where we're where we are aligned and 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 maybe sometimes where we're not aligned but it's not enough of a divergence that you know it 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 messes us up when we fight it's you know it's respectful it's it's it can be dramatic especially if other people are around um if we disagree there's a level of learning and understanding and and listening that over the last 25, like we've been together now 25 years, married, 30 years together almost, is that we've had to learn that. And if, if there's something that you could pass on to your listeners or, or to, you know, I think about, you know, people always ask us if we're going to coach couples, you know, why don't you do some couples coaching? And why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And we're like, no. Why is it such a hard no for you? I don't know. I think it's 
maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe, you know, maybe I just don't think I can, I've got enough to offer, you know, anybody in, in that space. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can provide and, and, and we do some really great stuff. I don't, you know, you said when we have a fight, I, I don't, you know, I guess that's a kind of a generic term to me because when we, you know, fight, that's an interesting, an interesting word. I think we get into some pretty heated debates and, and, and that's a bit about our, that's just the nature that we're in. So, was, yeah, okay. So I guess if we, if we concede that it's a fight, I don't even know how we got onto this conversation, to be honest with you. So what happened? Does people want to know? So you're the, supposed to be the interviewer here. So let's go back to success. How do we define success? Okay. So let's start in success in what area of life? So there's seven areas of life that we've learned over the years with Martini or uh, a lot of our other coaches. So right now, what would you say is your highest value? What is my highest value? In the hierarchy of of seven areas of life. Oh, gosh. That's a... What the hell are you doing asking me that Well, you keep telling me I'm the interviewer. Well, yeah, I know, but that's... Okay, so when I look at my values, so one of my... I I guess one of my highest values right now is, is... is being a contribution always is, is am I living into that? And then am I living my best life? Am I being my best self? So that encompasses all seven areas of my life. So whether it be, you know, in business, financially, health, the relationship, family, all of those things. So I'm, I think I'm cycling through that all the time. And so at any given time, are they all, are all buckets full? Freaking never. You know, there's always something that needs attention. So, but when I break it down that way, it's easier for me to do. So, you know, am I living my highest value? So I want to go back to the word success because I think it's, I want to, I want to get to that because I'm working through it right now. So I think ultimately success is about, you know, satisfaction with your life. How satisfied are you with your life? You know, you bring up relationship and uh, when we consider, you know, just everybody's focused on, no, I shouldn't say that. I don't want to, I shouldn't say everybody. Money's such a big charge for people in general. And we need it. It makes the world go round. Not everybody is. Uh, there's minimalists out there and, and all the rest of it. So, you know, there's there's a part of success for me is not about money. Does money make it easier? Perhaps. You know, there's there's no doubt that there's a there's a strong... Uh, argument for, you know, a great life with money, but you can have a shitty relationship and a lot of money, and then it just doesn't matter anymore. So in the relationship with you and how we live our life and what we do is is we don't live a grandiose life. We live a really great life, but, you know, we we're, I'm not surrounded with toys and all the things because it's not my highest value, you know, a Lambo or a hot car and like that stuff, you know, maybe at some point in my life, it was, it was, I thought it was a priority. It's not it. And, and I have no regrets around that. So that's just me relationship, you know, friendships, our relationship, relationship with the kids. That's, that's what's important to me. So am I living my values? Yes. Would I define success in that way? Yes. You know, that's satisfaction with life. And ultimately I've got a very high level of, of satisfaction with our life, with my life, which includes you. So I don't know where I'm going with that, but other than... I think I think you need to, to drill in because I think some people, like you said, will define them their level of success relating to money yeah. and relating to... Well, we know people like that, so... Right, right. and it's not wrong. I'm just mm. saying, what I'm saying is that if that is your only identifier in terms of success, then it leaves the six or eight other areas of life quite empty. 
It does. Well, and, and people know that, I think, uh, intellectually, you have that realization, but until you're actually living it, when is enough enough? Uh, how much is enough? You know, wh- you know, what is a dollar? Does Elon Musk, you know, he's now whatever he's worth, several hundred or uh, 200 billion. Right, Jeff or, Bezos is now the richest man on yeah, the planet. You know, he's, yeah. he's, you know, he has the, yeah. So the point is, is when is enough enough? And what is it really that you're trying to do? How do you say you, you feel successful? When do you get that sense of satisfaction? That's why I don't, you know, success is such a weird word. And, and I'm trying to not use it anymore because it's just not clear. And what are you measuring it against? A, a moment in time, a snapshot, or a snapshot in or a time, Snapchat. or a Snapchat in <laughs> or a time, feeling. you know, in a moment in time mm-hmm. by somebody that you know, a shot of the beach. It's like those Hallmark cards, you know, that couple and the sunset, and they're walking down the beach, and you know, that that second, that split second in time, you know, and and what was it in that led up to that picture, and what was the picture afterward? Mm-hmm. It could have been a total cluster screw. <laughs> so you know, the the point is, is that you have to be clear on how you really define it. And if it's always about money, uh, as an example, then you're going to be challenged because there'll always be something more. There'll be something that's left that is a void in your life and money won't fill that void. It's so funny that that you say that because it's true. And I've, I've as long as I've known you is that money's never been your driver, yet your podcast is called The Everyday Millionaire. And I'm wondering if that name and that is is something that you challenged yourself to to call the podcast because money's really never been your highest driver. No, it doesn't drive me. I, I mean, I love to make money, and and of course, over the years we've made a lot of money, and and I've always kind of it's been an interesting journey for me in terms of figuring that out. I've been more of a relationship. That's been one of my higher values is, is great relationships and. And I know a lot of people, but I have very few close friends. And relationship is one of those things that has mattered to me. And it's also been the one thing that I've had to learn the most. And so relationships that I've I've had had to go away. And they're no longer, it's, it's like, oh, they don't share common values. Well, isn't that interesting? You know, my values have shifted or theirs have relationships of years. So their values aren't wrong. And this is such an interesting, what I love about the values conversation is that they just got their values. We don't align. It's it's such an easy conversation to have. So it's going in and out of people's lives with, with respect and with grace and understanding that people's values change and it's not wrong. And it's I, I'm noticing that right now in in this in these times is that I, I don't align with even people that have been my best friends for 20 years. We don't align. And and to be able to say that with love and grace and, and respect and acceptance, and I don't have to judge them, you know, but it's still something that is important when it comes to identifying, identifying the next stage of your life and who's going with you into this next, basically this next firefight. Yeah, it's an, yeah, it's an interesting time to say the very, very least. And so... I think where as we go forward in all of it, it it's it really is aligning and 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 making sure that you're surrounded with people that share common beliefs and and that has proven time and time again to be uh, what supports people through difficult times. And not to force the river. That's one of the things I've learned from you over the years is that do not force 
the river. Don't try to push the river. If something's not flowing, something's not authentic, something's not aligning, it, by forcing it, you're just going to come out the other end brutally, brutally beat up. Yeah, don't force the river. When yeah. it when flow is there, just go with it. So I have a couple questions for you. Now that we've talked about success, and it's one of your least favorite words, that and the H word, what's your guilty pleasure? What does somebody, what do people not know about you that you give yourself if, 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 you know, you're by yourself? I, oh gosh, I don't know. I, I'm a snacker. I don't know. What's my guilty pleasure? I don't, you know. What would you be embarrassed to tell people that you're, that you love? Is it a Netflix show? Is it no. a snack? Is no. it, what no. is it? What's your guilty pleasure? Uh, well, Come on. I don't know. You know me better than anybody. I, I, I don't think I have any, there's, yeah, no, I don't have anything that would, nothing's, I don't have a guilty pleasure. No. Not that I can think of, do I? Um, well, I would say um, crackers. <laughs> <laughs> crackers and hummus. <laughs> okay. You say every sure. time you want to lose weight, <laughs> I, I got to stop eating crackers and hummus. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay so um, what are you reading right now? Oh, oh well, I am. I am. Um, I am reading. I've got a couple things gone to go. Uh, right now I'm reading How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, which is uh, Donald Robertson, who is uh, about to be a guest on the show, which I'm really excited about. Uh, he's a Stoic, right? He's like a he, he Stoic. Studies he studies Stoicism. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was just on Ryan Holiday's Holiday Show. And with Mike, Mark Manson. Yeah, that Mark Manson. So cool. Yeah. So I he's a cool dudes. cat. He's uh, So I'm excited about that. And, and that came about, you know, so Stoicism really came into my life in a bigger way when Cheryl Maycock, who's, uh, I, don't, I don't know, who's Cheryl? She's, she's your boss. She's my boss. She's the boss of the world. And she's the boss of the world. She keeps me uh, really, really aligned with the things I need to do. But she actually introduced me to a whole concept that Ryan Holiday did around Stoicism. And Halliday. Hal- sorry. Halliday. My, my glitch. Halliday, <laughs> which is what I know and I meant to say. And uh, Ryan Halliday, and uh, yeah, we both, you know, her and I both committed to doing a whole year of journaling and Marcus Aurelius and studying meditations and all the things that came. And it was really cool. It was great work. And uh, I learned a lot from that. So is there, what are you listening to? Is there anybody that you're interested in? in uh, and like I'm listening or? to so many things right now. It's crazy. So... Um, Come on, let's let's go out on a limb here. Who oh, no, uh, you know something. I'm I'm really a big fan of a most of the stuff I'm I'm looking at is U.S. because it's really based on the economy and what's going on economically, and I'm trying to look into the future and and make decisions on what's happening in the world. And the U.S. is one of my things right now because I believe the U.S. is going to have a really strong impact on Canada as it always does, and you know things are really crazy right now and you know is who's going to get elected is one part of it but it's also you know monetary policy and systems which also applies to canada you know given what's happening economically and you know the monetary policies central bank federal governments you know they keep printing money what does that mean to us in the world of business what does it mean to our community and in the world of real estate so some guys that i'm really enjoying listening to because i like their thought processes out of the U.S., there's no really great guys in in Canada. I don't think uh, that are very public and 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 really forthcoming. But in the U.S., I'm a big fan of uh, George Gammon. Kind of, I'm kind of digging him and the way he does his thing. Lynette Zhang is, uh, you know, she's a so smart. She's smart. 
aside, you know, she's a she's a big um, silver gold bug, which is fine, uh, you know. But she also looks at a lot of things economically that I that I appreciate, and, and her view of what goes on in that world, I think, is is very very good. So. And there's Catherine Austin Fitz. Like she's really, really interesting. She was a former, she actually was in the, in the um, Oval Office in the government in the U.S. years ago in in the early 80s. So that's, um, but also um, when you think about Kyle Cease, for example, like there's some On the the personal development side of it, Kyle Cease, I'm a huge fan of Kyle Cease and I've done a lot of his stuff for the past couple of years. I really, really like it. So that's that's my interest, you know. So on the personal development side of things, you know, Kyle Cease is one of my definitely one of my go-tos in in that space and and I've really done a lot of his work. Uh enjoy that. You know, the study of stoicism is is one of the things that I've really uh enjoyed doing a lot. Um I'm trying to th- uh, Robin Sharbin Sharma who I, I, I'm I'm an okay like I like some of his stuff. I'm not a huge fan of it I'm, anymore. I'm liking the Malcolm Gladwell stuff right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really interesting in that regard. There's some cool kind of out there conspiracy people that are you know bringing things into the world that I never would have understood or known about. But it, I mean, it's not offensive. It's just things that forcing me to look outside the mainstream, you know, and understanding that the economics are as important as our health. For example, our health and our wealth and our wellness is all connected. And it is. I think what's right now is that it, for for us to be critically thinking about how our economies being affected by decisions that our government is making and where are they getting their information from. So, you know, those kinds of things are important. And I think just to bake into, to, you know, not just your personal um inspirational stuff but also what what inspires you economically politically um that kind of thinking is super important yeah i do uh, yeah and i and i as you know i study a lot of that stuff i look a lot you know i'm yeah I, you know whether it be a warren buffett or a, a ray dalio like i'm i'm always listening to peter schiff you know like i just guys with different perspectives different views they're not mainstream they're you know some of them would be considered anything but they wouldn't be considered conspiracy theorists by any stretch but they really do look at you know in especially in the u.s i mean they look at the at the feds and they look at the central bank and what's happening and they have a real you know interesting view of it you know and how does that apply to canada that's really the, at, at the end of the day that's the question i'm always asking myself well yeah and then we have to look at the decisions that our current um governments making. governments making yep. and and you know the last couple of days we've been listening or i've been listening to maxime bernier and um, trying to get different, like really stretching into listening to all sides, you know, listening to the Trump side, the, 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 sorry, the, the Republican side, the Democratic, the liberal, the, the conservative, and now the, the, you know, you know, the, the people that are stepping up and the risks that they're taking right now. And that's kind of what rain's done over the years is you guys have been leaders uh, all the way back to Don and before that, Tim Johnson, before that, Ellen Jack. You know, just having the ability and the commitment to put yourselves out there as leaders. When you when you see that, does that does that put pressure on you? Do you feel like you're under pressure? Yeah, I think it, it, you know, anytime you know that you're in in the world of business and in our because we're a national organization, you know, and we're we we're really reaching you know 
thousands of people on any, you know, any given thing, there's a, there's a responsibility that comes with it that, you know, we all take, you know, as a management team, we take it all quite seriously. You know, we, you know, we may laugh and have fun with it, but ultimately these are decisions we, you know, we understand that people are making decisions based on the research that we're doing, or sometimes our view of the world, they're going, okay, I align with that view. So we take it all very seriously in that regard and in understanding that, uh, there is pressure that comes with that to, you know, live your truth, be true to what you believe, and then people are attracted to that. So you're, you know, we attract people that can follow that belief system. We're, you know, we create the tribe, if you will, of rain, and uh, you know, the community is is an awesome community. You know, people are really, really supportive because they understand each other. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, you were just buying your first property. Yeah, I've been there, done that. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. So, you know, we we are very, very serious when we talk about a culture of, you know, that's collaborative and a culture that cares. And And I still, when I say that real estate doesn't fail us, we fail real estate. And it's because we don't step into that environment. We don't surround ourselves with like-minded people. We don't you know, we try and do it alone and, and it's just, it doesn't even work. Even rain members, like, are you finding even current rain members aren't trusting the process? They're not trusting the process as much, you know, current rain members, they're, they're still based in fear or they're not trusting the process? No, I don't know. I mean, people are, I think there's always a, a level of fear with people in times like this. I don't know that anything's based in fear. I mean, we all have to be aware of, you know, what's maybe getting on our way that is fearful and then acknowledge it and, and say, how do we work through it? And, and whether we reach out for help or, or we break that fear down. So, you know, the rain community overall is a great community. And, and if people, and those individuals that in, you know, engage in the community and really step into the community and create that environment for themselves are definitely the most successful. So you're not perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not perfect. Really? from you. (laughs) And I think that's something that, you know, whether your listeners or the rain community are skate tech family, like all the people that, that, that know and, and love you, part of what inspires everyone and us ab- ab- about you is that when you do take a hit, everything goes to hell in a handbasket. You don't bullshit about it. You don't lie about it. You don't say, oh, it's all good. We'll figure it out. You actually have tactics and you have the strength of character to help people, you know, help people and lift people up. And when you talk about yourself being a Sherpa or getting behind people, there's a value to that that I don't know if you really get. So how do you get grounded after you take a hit? Like, how do you support? Like, how do you do that? Well, yeah, you know, I've uh, I've become familiar with the term uh, recently, more recently, cognitive dissonance Mm -hmm. and and. And in the world of cognitive dissonance, in the world of stoicism, and, and, and it was something that, you know, you know, I started studying years ago. I think I got it earlier on, but, you know, the whole study of stoicism gave me a, a stronger context for it, which is what can I control and what, you know, what can't I control? And and so the ultimately, we have to let go of what we can't control. We just do. The only thing we can really control is our reaction to what, what's happening. And so my choices of how I react to it are really mine. That's all I can control. That's all I can own. So how do I set myself up? You know, you know, going through this stuff that we go through, I think, you know, probably why I have wide shoulders and thick skin. You know, ultimately, 
you know, you take it on as a challenge that has to be overcome. You you, you dig into it and, and you just take it on. I, I don't know what else to say about that. You know, I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to reach out to some great people and, and get supported around that, look for guidance. Uh, I'm probably guilty of not doing that as frequently as I should or could. Um, but ultimately, uh, it's methodically one foot in front of the other. Don't get too much future thinking, which is one of the things that I have to work on often. I journal a lot. It's one of the one of the tools that I use. I have a morning routine. I look after myself. I know that I'm no good to anybody if I'm not looking after myself. Least of all, I'm not, you know, or most of all, I'm not good to myself if I'm not looking after myself. So, you know, ultimately staying grounded in my routine, trusting my own process and uh, trusting that, you know, I'll work through it. And also know that you have a level of support because in my world, you're my soft place to land. As much as you piss me off and you shine, you know, shine a light or, or, or put the mirror in front of me to say where I'm responsible for always 100% responsible for what's going on in my life and what's going on in our life. But you also are a soft place to land for many, many people. And I think there's a lot of gratitude for that. So, And it's interesting that you bring something up, right? Which is was the conversation around extreme ownership. You know, I talk a lot about that and, and, and I got the term extreme ownership from the book. But ownership is such an interesting thing, right? So, I, and I say the middle, the minute you complain, the minute you blame, stop and go, where am I responsible for this? Because you're ultimately responsible for 100% of it. And when you have extreme ownership, it actually is, it pisses you off. And I found that it's, um, I get angry with, I shouldn't say angry with myself. Yeah, I piss myself off. I get angry and go, how did I overstep that? Why did I let that happen? Why didn't I do that? And that's the most, but that's the most empowering place to be. When you own it 100%, then ultimately you are empowered. You're not giving away your power in the game called blame. Love it. Yeah, there's a big blame game, especially, you know, now. Okay, so uh, here's something interesting. So it's, today it's 2020. I want you to think about if it's 3020, it's a thousand years into the future from today, mm -hmm. August 31st, yeah. 3020. And there's a statue mm -hmm. or a plaque somewhere mm -hmm. in the world as a tribute to you. Mm-hmm. It's got your name on it. What does it say? Oh, I don't know. He made a difference. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 it's an interesting... Slow down, cowboy. <laughs> you keep stepping over that stuff. I don't step over it. I mean... What does it say? Think about the greatest people in the world that we've forgotten about. So when I look at, you know, I, I really have had a big shift in all of that thought process, which is I don't give a shit about my legacy. You know, it, and I, I shouldn't say that. I'm not saying it dismissively, it says it really doesn't matter. I mean, some of the greatest people in the world, you might read about them. Like you might, it, like who cares? At the end of the day, what I've really got clear on for me right now is that I'm here, I'm now, this is where I have to make the difference. And so quite frankly, if they had a statue of me, it was, you know, maybe it says, you know, like you say, he made a difference. He mattered. I don't know what to say in that regard. I, I can't think in that terms because I've really come to a place where I'm going, I just want to make a difference today. Like, I want to be present to what I can do today. In a thousand years from now, fuck, who cares? You know, like, it doesn't matter. I'm gone. 
I love it. That's so great. Well, you know, it's funny is that um, one of the guys I'm following right now who died in 1990, his name is Osho, as a philosopher, as a, as a, as a stoic, actually, as a Hindu uh, guru, meditation teacher. Nobody even heard of him. Yeah. Right? My point. Right? So we'll find out our leaders when, they, when we need to find them. I just, you know, my goal is to be the best I can be right now based on what I know and in the study of being the best I can be and showing up and pushing and stretching and and pushing others and stretching others and being a catalyst for, you know, supporting others and their success. That That's what I'm wired to do. That's what I love to do. It's what I want to do. And, uh, you know, I don't have to. Yeah, I think that's uh, your calling, I think. Yeah, probably. It probably sounds to me like it's what you want people to to know is that your calling is for all people to have and be their best lives. That's it. So, okay. So here we go. Coming to the, we were, uh, no, this is the rapid the, fire now. This has gone on a lot longer. Uh, no, than... you, no, you're good. We're good. We're still under, you know, still under time. Okay. So good. rapid fire. This is how you end your interviews with all your amazing everyday millionaire guests. Are you ready? Sure. Quickly. Sure. <laughs> and this is really, really fast. What's your self-care routine? Go. My self-care routine? Correct. So having, I have to, I need some kind of physical activity. So that varies in from time to time. Right now I'm not in the gym as much as I, you know, sometimes think I want to be, but I'm, I'm active. So the great thing about being out on the acreage is as, as I like to be active. I need to work up a sweat. I need to, to be physically challenging myself. And uh, so that's one of the things that's part of my routine. Uh, meditation is part of my routine, uh, being able to have some quiet time and, and, and I go through I, it, that ebbs and flows, but ultimately I always come back to that. I always come back to journaling. I always come back to gratitude. I always come back to what am I listening to? What am I watching? And, uh, the, the, you know, I have a lot of clarity around that these days. Awesome. iPhone or Android? Oh, pff. Are you kidding me? Of course it's Android. <laughs> If, okay. J, if JG ever listens to this particular podcast, uh, he'll get a chuckle out of that. Okay. What's one job you do, even though you hate it, but you do it because you're good at it? <sighs> I'm good at so many things. I know, right? That's uh, crazy. Um, I don't know if I have one of those. Do I, do I have a job like that? I don't think I do. I mean, there's so many things that I do that I don't. Yeah, I do it because, no, I, I think I'm doing everything I'm doing right now because I like to do it. Awesome. Okay. So what's your favorite swear word? Fuck, I can't help it. I try to. <laughs> right? I try. Okay, what's your favorite inspirational quote? Oh, man, I think whatever shows up that day. I don't think I have a favorite. I, I you know, some I'm inspired by stuff that shows up, um, so I don't have a favorite. Okay. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Yeah, well done. Mm. Okay, on a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? Ah, oh, gosh. You know, I asked that question, and and how weird am I? I don't think I'm all that weird. I think I'm boring. I think I'm, you know, I'm I'm like so neutral. Probably six. Okay. Uh, what are you not very good at? Oh gosh, that's um, what I'm not very good at. I'm just trying to think. The list is is so long. You know, I just <laughs> Liar. have to pick one. <laughs> um, I'm not really good at, at details. Like I'm not good at details. I'm really shitty at my calendar. And if I didn't have Cheryl, like I'd be a train wreck. 
I'm just not good at details. And, and, and some of that is I just don't have the capacity for it. So I don't know. I'm probably good at it if I have the capacity. I think you were a prince in another life. Yeah. But you always had people picking up after you. That's that's my thought. What are you talking about? <laughs> I pick up after oh, myself. Oh, yeah. Most of the okay, time. Okay, room, desk, car. What do you clean first? Well, I don't know. I, I, I think overall I live relatively neat and tidy. Um, I would have a tendency to say vehicle, I guess. Favorite tune? Don't have one. Favorite movie? Uh, don't have one. Favorite Netflix? Right now we're streaming a couple of them. Um, what did we just finish watching? No. Oh, uh, Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom, which was pretty wild. That yeah. was yeah. No, I, I don't have a favorite. No, no, I think there's there's been some good ones, but yeah, I don't have a favorite. I love that. Okay, so those are. I'm going to change those questions. I don't like them. Oh, they're awesome because they make people think. So hey, let's wrap it up, hun. Do I have what, a favorite movie? What? Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, was that was go. good. I don't mm -hmm. know if it was my favorite, but it was really good. It just popped into my mind. So what are you grateful for? What am I grateful for? Uh, I'm grateful for an amazing life with an amazing wife and amazing family and an amazing team. I'm just grateful for my life. There's nothing that really um, I can say beyond that. I just have a lot of gratitude right now and uh, I'm inspired by, you know, the, the home we have, the people we have in our life. And so, yeah, that's what I'm grateful for right today. I'm grateful for my breath. I just was listening to an amazing podcast about breathing, by the way. So mm -hmm. I got to remember to breathe. Awesome. All right. Well, anything you want to leave your amazing listeners with and uh, a gift that you would want to bring them on the hundredth podcast, uh, anything you want to say to me? <laughs> <laughs> just set that one up. <laughs> what, Out of the, the park. Hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> I love you, honey. Um, I'm so uh, I'm so happy to be in you know, 100th episode. So happy that um, you know we've got some a really great listenership, and uh, appreciate that people get whatever they get out of it. And and I'm gonna always continue to grow. And I got some plans for the show later on as we go forward. But uh, yeah, nothing more profound than that in this moment. Well, thank you for taking the time to um, open up and spend this last little bit time with me and 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 sharing. Some of the insights and, and stepping into those questions. And I'm always honored when, when somebody says, oh, that's a good question. And you said that like nine times. So <laughs> I'm pretty happy about that. And I hope uh, everyone gets as much as I got out of today. And, and just know that uh, you're loved and respected. And uh, let's look forward to another 100 episodes. We will indeed. Thank you. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time... Patrick out.